I want to now go to a familiar text, to many of us anyway, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's resurrection uh, chapter. And this being the word of God, we are to listen to it, hear it, drink it in, take it home with us, meditate upon it. I'm going to read 20 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, with the focus on verse 7. But let us now hear God's word through the Apostle Paul coming to us from the Scripture, the hearing from the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach to you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore... Whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins." Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. May God bless this portion of his word to our hearts and minds. Yes, Lord Jesus, we, this, is, this is some word here. Uh, this is some word, uh, and, and it's a bold one. <clears throat> For if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. And then they which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if so, in this life only we have hope, we are of all most miserable. 
But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for inspiring the apostle to write these words down. They are clear and they are precious. May they become more precious even as a result of this day in our worship services and tonight as well, contributing to. In your name we pray, amen. Well, as Paul mentioned in the beginning of this chapter, that he preached the gospel to these Corinthians, and he preached Christ crucified to them. And and they believed that, that Christ was crucified for their sins. And then he also continues to preach that Christ was raised from the dead on on the third day. So they got the full message. And then he talks about uh, the resurrection because there was, in Corinth at that time, he mentions it here, almost in passing, but not quite. There are some of you, there are some among you, causing trouble here, saying that the dead don't rise. Christ did not rise. And, uh, you know, that's still around today. In, uh, in, in people, in churches, calling themselves churches that say that that's not a, that's not actually, it didn't really happen. That Christ did not actually rise. The resurrection has another message to another meaning. Now, I don't want to get into all their arguments right now. I've heard them. I've read about them. I've studied them. We've, I've argued. But I don't want to get into all those arguments. The point is here in Corinthian that the, uh, The Corinthian church was troubled by those who were in the church saying the dead don't rise. Christ didn't rise from the grave. And then Paul goes into this whole argument that if he didn't rise rise from the dead, then no one did. And no one does. And then what is the Christian faith about? If, and this is, this is the only religion where we have an alive Savior. All the other religions, Buddha's dead. Muhammad's dead. Whatever religion you choose, they de- they're dead. They're, they're prophets, they're oracles, whomever. They're all dead. We serve the living God. And the living God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Christ had to rise from the dead. He cannot be dead. He cannot die. Or there's no Christianity. There's no such thing as Christianity. As I said before, you can get some fair to good counsel from the Bible without believing in the miracles and in Christ as the Savior uh, of, uh, of those who believe and repent. Uh, Christ, who was uh, who died for our sins, his sacrifice, and then his his uh, rising from the grave to show that God accepted his sacrifice uh, and all that. You can go through the Bible and get some wisdom out of it for everyday life and living, but that's it. It, it the the faith that the the core of the faith, the gospel itself, the core of the gospel of and Christ has crucified for sin 
died for our sin, paid for our sin, and accepted, God accepted that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice for our sin, by raising his son from the dead on the third day. Proof positive that our sins, truly our sins, are forgiven. All of them. That's what the resurrection means, but what Paul's saying here, if not, if not for the resurrection, you're still in your sin, and you perish. You, the Corinthians were saying, some of these Corinthians were saying, that, look, you're dead, you're dead. There is no resurrection, like the Sadducees. You're dead, you're dead. There's nothing after this. So make the best of it. Live for the day, tomorrow you die, and you're gone. Well, Paul is saying absolutely, positively, no way. And he goes to show by these eyewitnesses. There were, there were ten uh, occasions where Christ appeared to people, but he doesn't mention them all. He doesn't mention the women, he doesn't mention uh, Cleopas and, and that, but he mentions people that are still alive that are still alive. And so he said that uh, right here in verse 5 that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. After that he was seen of uh, above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remains to the present. See, these people are still alive. They're still faithful witnesses. Yes, I saw the risen Christ. And uh, but some have fallen asleep. And then after that, he was seen of James. This James is still alive. I'm going to talk about three James. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And uh, this James is still alive here when Paul's writing. And then all the apostles. And last of all, you were seen of me. You remember that he appeared to the apostle Paul on the road to uh, (coughs) Damascus. And so Paul is arguing to the Corinthians who knew all these people and many of which are still alive that these people are eyewitnesses. It's not just one or two, it's hundreds and on different occasions over the course of 40 days. And so he's reminding them that uh, that, this, uh, that this has some eyewitnesses that you know and you've spoken with. And now we want to find out a little about one of these eyewitnesses from verse 7. After that, he was seen of James. And that's my focus, reading commentary and articles. I, I like what, what's been said there, and I want to share it with you. And I have three things to say about this. The, uh, the fact of, uh, <clears throat> of the, uh, the resurrection to James, that it's a, that's a fact there, uh, to him. The purpose of the resurrection to James, and then the significance of the resurrection to James and to us. And so we have those three things, the, uh, the resurrection itself, the purpose, and the significance. So, as I mentioned, there are three Jameses, so James in the Bible. <clears throat> and uh, the first is uh, the one that you're most familiar with, uh, James, brother of John, 
elder brother of John and Peter, right? J- James and, uh, and John were fishermen, and they partnered with Peter. The three of them were fishermen. And they were actually also the closest to, of the disciples to Jesus. They were the ones that ascended with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, which uh, does not mean what the one of the churches in uh, Pittsburgh is advertising, if you've ever seen the commercial for it, uh, from that church, so the leader there, the minister there, whomever, is about uh, the about the transfiguration and how the rapture is going to be. Some are going to be taken up and some are going to be, oh, come on. Uh, it doesn't mean that. Anyway, that's an aside. But they did ascend the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, uh, and they were his among his close. In fact, uh, of John, it said that it's the apostle whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was at the cross with uh, Mary, the mother, and that's when Jesus spoke those words to Mary, behold your son, and to uh, John, behold your... Uh, James is the brother, the elder brother of John. James was martyred in 44 AD. So James is dead by now, because this letter, the first letter of Corinthians, is, is after 50 AD. So he's speaking about the living James, and this James, uh, James and, of James and John, is not present anymore. He's gone to heaven. <clears throat> there was a second James, also called Alphaeus, or was called the son of Alphaeus, was also known as uh, Cleophas, and uh, his, his uh, father was Alphaeus, mother was Mary, and he was also one of the twelve disciples that later became an apostle. Uh, he was called James the Lesser, and the reason why he was called Lesser, well, there might be one of two reasons. Uh, one reason given is because he was younger than James, the James of John, you know, and uh, James, the son of, <coughs> uh, well, the, the, his, his father was uh, Zebedee. And uh, this James, called the less, or the lesser, was younger than James, son of Zebedee. So maybe they would call him lesser because of that, or less. The other reason is because of his stature. He was short, and that's reported in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. So, uh, he was also one of the apostles. It says twice that he appeared to all the apostles. So, this separating of James from the apostles here as being a witness is probably a reference to the third James that appears. And who is the third James? Well, this James is the brother of the Lord. Contrary to Roman teaching, Roman Catholic teaching, Mary and Joseph had other children. And they're listed in the Gospel of Mark, for example. James, Joseph, Judah, Simon, and sisters, plural. Joseph and Mary had other children. James was one of them. James was also a leading, he was the leading elder at the church in Jerusalem. And he was the one that, uh, that Paul reported to when he came back from his third missionary journey, 
to the elder and to the other elders. So he had a prominent position in the church. And you can read about that in, in Acts chapter 15 and 21. I don't want to necessarily go over all that with you. Suffice it to say, this James, brother of Jesus, or as commentators say, half-brother, because Joseph did not father him, uh, half-brother of uh, Jesus, is the James that is referenced here by Paul to the Corinthians. This James is still alive. He's, he's, uh, he's prominent in the church at Jerusalem. So he's still around at the time Paul is, uh, is talking about this. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned before, this is not an exhaustive list. He appeared ten times uh, on ten different occasions to a number of people, but he lists those who are prominent in the church, who are alive at this time, who you can go to and talk to and ask them, once again, tell me about the risen Lord appearing to you. And so that's what, uh, what Paul is arguing here. Go to the witnesses yourself and talk to them. Don't be confused by these people that say, like the Sadducees, there is no such thing as a resurrection, and when you're dead, you're dead, your body's gone. God who called things into existence out of nothing. I know what you're thinking. Maybe you're not thinking this. I think it. How is he going to call someone that died... 2,000 or 4,000 years ago, someone's body that has been eaten up by worms by now and who all knows what, or some of the other Christians that have died in the fire and their, their bodies uh, went up into smoke in the air and their bones lay charred and probably all gone by now as well. God that called everything, everything into existence from nothing, from his word, from his mind, can call the molecules and the atoms and everything else together that formed you. God can do that. It's beyond imagining, I know. But that's our God. He is remarkable. And uh, we have... We do... We, <laughs> We just, we can't imagine how wonderful and majestic and holy and magnificent and powerful and all-knowing he is. We can't imagine it. We're so small. We're so tiny compared to him. He can do that. And he will call those, but nothing's going to waste. He's going to call those atoms and those molecules that made us up and made up our bodies and bring them together in the great day. Of course, those who are still alive, well, they don't have to be called up, but they'll be transformed, remarkably so, in the twinkling of an eye and become like Jesus in body as well as soul. So that is just the, the resurrection when you get into it and you get just a little, a little deeper, you realize that it is a remarkable doctrine, a remarkable teaching, a remarkable fact. And there are two things about this that, uh, as I go through the message, uh, the fact of the resurrection, we're working on that right now, the witnesses. Go to the witnesses, talk to them, let them tell you for themselves once again 
how they uh, saw the law, uh, the Lord, the risen Lord, but also the nature of the resurrection. We'll get to the nature towards the end of the message in just a few minutes. <clears throat> but I just want to want to bring out that out about God. I have been thinking about this lately, Lord, because. You know, people come up with these challenges all the time. I read about them. I hear about them. I wonder why people, Christians, uh, don't have a, a, a deeper understanding of how remarkable God is. It's, maybe they don't think that way. I, you know, I was minored in philosophy. I got into psychology. I got into theology. I, I like to think those, uh, this way. How is God going to do this? You know, we're not talking about someone that died a year or two ago or three years ago where the body is still in the coffin. That's so much rotten, but it's still there. We're talking about people that have died in, in the fire, in the, at sea, uh, disintegrated, worms have eaten them, you know, thousands of years ago. Their bodies too? Yes! God calls everything into existence. He doesn't waste anything. As this morning, a uh, professor said, there's no waste here. With God. But he's going to transform it. And that's just, it boggles the mind as, as, the, saying, as the saying goes. <clears throat> so James is a prominent person at the church of these. He is the elder at the church of Jerusalem. He's not just one elder, but he's the elder among elders. He's the leading elder. And he has probably, the thing about the uh, uh, being seen of James here is that we do not know time and place. There's nothing at all. This is the only place in Scripture where this appears, that he was seen of James. This is the only place in Scripture where it appears, and there's no explanation as to when and where. So we don't know what Jesus said to James. There's no report about it. Just that he was seen of James. But James has such a prominent place in the church in this day. Go talk to him. Speak to him. Everybody respects James. They all knew him (coughs) at Corinth. They all knew he was the leading elder there (coughs) at the church of Jerusalem. So go talk to him. Yeah, I was seen. of, uh, by Jesus. I saw him. He saw me. He appeared to me. But uh, of the time and the place, we, we don't have the scripture telling us the location or anything like that. Nevertheless, we can glean the, the purpose from other scripture, why he appeared to James and the significance of it. And that's what we want to get into now, the purpose. So what is the purpose of Jesus' appearance to James? Well, if you go to John 7, and you don't have to do this. I'll read it to you. John 7, chapter 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. And then you go back into the context in verses 2 to 4, and we learn it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, his uh, Jesus was... uh, hesitating to go to Jerusalem at this time. And his brethren, James is one of them now, did not believe in him at this point. The rest of his family did not believe in him 
except for Mary and Joseph. And they was tell, they were encouraging him because he was hesitant because they were lying in wait for him. He knew they were lying in wait for him to kill him. Uh, his, his, bre- his brothers and sisters said to him, well, go, go. Let your disciples see your works. They were sarcastic about it. They were saying, you know, because they thought that he was performing these tricks or maybe some real magic. I don't know what there was in their mind, but they were sarcastic about it. Yeah, go to Jerusalem. Because they didn't believe in him. They wanted him to show off some more. Yeah, go let your disciples see it. And so it's James here that did not, and the rest of his family. Now, you, now this is odd. This is strikingly odd. Here we have Joseph and Mary, who were staunch members of the covenant of God who believed in the covenant that God made with Abraham, an everlasting covenant, and also at, uh, at Sinai with Moses and the people Israel. These were followers. Joseph and Mary were followers. Remember, Joseph, he did not want to marry Mary, but he was a nice man, a gentleman. He didn't want, he didn't want to make a scene of him, put her aside quietly, when she, he found out that she was pregnant, before he was told by the angel, take her to be your wife. This is of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they were, they were just wonderful, wonderful Christians, wonderful believers at this time. Not called Christians yet, but they were wonderful believers. And every single one of their children doesn't believe in Jesus, who they knew as a family member, but then when he grew up, they heard him speak and they saw his miracles, and yet they still did not believe. You wonder if God had a purpose in this. He did. None of them believed. They mocked him. Go show off yourself to your disciples. Go there. Go to Jerusalem. Wow. That is odd. That is strikingly odd. But... For a reason. God had a plan in mind. And what was that plan? That plan was to save them all. God's timing is not our timing. And that's why there are, even among us tonight, wise people who do not stop praying for their unbelieving son or daughter or grandchild. Because God's timing is not necessarily, in fact, seldom is attuned or lined up or in harmony with our timing. God had a plan in mind, and that was to save the entire family, James included. And there's mention here made uh, of three things. First, in John 7, 5, which speaks of the fact that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Uh, <clears throat> and this was only months before the crucifixion. So we knew we know he didn't believe in them then because at the cross, there was Mary and there was John. And not one of his brothers, half-brothers, or sisters was there. Did not appear. So they weren't found at the cross. So they were still unbelieving at this point. They probably believed less in him because, okay, he, maybe he did some magic trick. Maybe he did some real mi- miracles and all that stuff. But look, 
Look at him. He's pathetic, hanging on the cross with criminals on either side of him. But then soon after Jesus' exaltation into heaven, we find Jesus' brothers and sisters with a small group of believers assembled in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Yes, indeed. They all believed. And James was kind of the spark of this because he appeared to James. And in that appearance, he spoke to him. Don't know exactly what he said, but like Paul who was before Paul, Saul, called Saul, and persecuted the church and mocked Christians and dragged them off to be put to death. Like Paul, who met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he talks about this when he's the least among the apostles, but he saw Jesus. I saw Jesus on the Damascus Road appear before me. James, like Paul, saw Jesus somewhere at some point and was converted. How? By the resurrected Christ. See, it's the resurrection that converts you. Yes, we need to focus on the cross because our sins are there and they were punished. God punished us since we are no longer punished. Things go wrong in our lives and all. We are not being punished by God. He's not unhappy with us. And if we're sinning, he does discipline us. But there's the, 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 the discipline does not have to do necessarily with circumstance. But here we are. Edward James, the resurrected Lord He saw his brother, and he was converted by the resurrected Jesus, along with the other members of his family, whom James went to and told about and all that. Now they're with this group of Christians uh, meeting, uh, assembled in, in Jerusalem before Pentecost, just before Pentecost. All of his family's there. Purpose of God, plan of God. None of them believe, so that all of them can believe through the resurrected Christ. I think you can anticipate by now the significance of the resurrection and his appearance to James. Paul talks about in another place that all of us, well, he says that none are righteous, no, not one. Uh, The prophet Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. But then Paul gets into, uh, in another place in Ephesians, that uh, we're all dead in trespasses and sin. And as someone once said, dead is dead. Dead people do not respond to anything. Now, of course, the death he's speaking of in Ephesians is talking about a spiritual death. Everyone, all human beings, all Adam and Eve's children are dead in trespasses and sin. But for the grace of God, 
what the resurrection teaches us is that it's only through a quickening of the spirit, a resurrection that takes place in a believer that he believes. So that even if Jesus Christ himself came and spoke to you, even if Jesus Christ himself healed you, you have cerebral palsy. You have whatever disease, take whatever disease that's debilitating. And he comes and he heals you. And you see that. Or, or you're, you're not the one that's healed, but someone, you're someone that's next to the one that's healed. And you see that. You will not believe. You will not believe. Like the people that were surrounding Christ at the time. The people that were healed believed. But the people that saw it, all the people that saw it, especially the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders and all that. They did not. They saw thee, they heard him teach, they heard him say this and that. They saw the miracles and they yet, they, they hated him all the more. His own family didn't believe. In other words, the resurrection teaches us. Not only did Christ rise from the dead, and we will too, just like him someday when he returns. But a resurrection has already occurred in us because once we were dead in trespasses and sin. But now we've been made alive. We've been quickened by the spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is abiding in us and raises us up. Raises up our spirit. So that we have been raised with Christ. And that's said here, for example, but God, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us, has made us alive together with Christ. And then in Colossians 3 verse 1, uh, it speaks of the saints being risen with Christ. We are now risen with Christ. How so? Because he has Cause a resurrection, a quickening, a bringing back to life from the dead. Our spirit. Our soul. It's already begun in us. That's the significance of the resurrection, dear people. That's why you believe unto, say, uh, unto salvation. That's why you repent, you confess, and you repent of your sin. That's why you are sanctified, becoming more and more holy. That's why you're growing in Christ, because you're alive. Because you've been raised from the dead within. And I have spoken this way, uh, in, in other words, by saying that... Uh, the miracle that is happening today, the only miracle, bona fide, true miracle that has happened today, is that people are coming alive to believe in Christ. That the people are truly being saved. And, and this salvation is not an intellectual thing. You can tell by now. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not a game. It's not something that we figured out by reason or, or whatever. This is a Bonafide miracle that has taken place. We have been raised from the dead, raised to life. To, and we called in the Bible another place, new creatures born again. 
We are walking miracles. That's the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it has to be, Paul's arguing tooth and nail here, it has to be the case. And that's what happened with James when the resurrected Christ came and spoke to him. That word made him alive and the rest of the members of his family. All of them unbelievers and all believers after his resurrection. We too have been raised to, uh, to newness of life. Born again. New creatures in Christ. This is a remarkable occurrence. It doesn't happen to everyone. That's why people don't believe. That's why people do not receive. That's why people do not grow. That's why people do not go in the direction heavenward in Christ Jesus. Because they, they haven't really truly been raised from the grave. Raised from the dead within. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, dead, dead in sins, has quickened us, has made us alive together with Christ. We have been risen with Christ even now, he says to the Colossians. And so this is a remarkable, remarkable uh, fact. Uh, and uh, doctrine and truth that uh, I think we need to appreciate and all the more. I know we do. I, I know we all appreciate it. And all the more. You're a walking miracle. Your life is hidden with Christ. You are remarkable. Don't define yourself by your problems, people, or by what other people say. Please don't. I know it's difficult. I fall into that, too. We all do. I, you know, we're, we're weak. We still have this, this fallen nature. It has to be converted. The whole nature has to be converted still, but uh, transformed. But uh, remember, you haven't done this on your own. God has given you life, new life. Only God can do it. He's called you to life. Believe it. Receive it. Love it. Live it. And how does he do it? Just to finalize this whole thing. Well, we know. When he, uh, he appeared to the people... And he spoke to them. Christ doesn't appear physically anymore. But he appears through his word. And what we're told in another place. Through the foolishness of preaching. Christ appears. To a people not a people. But will become the people of God. Through the foolishness of preaching. Therefore we must. Care. Tremendously care about the word that's being preached from the pulpit of the church to which we belong. It must be the gospel because that is what brings people to life. And what continues that life on in sanctification. The word of God. The appearance of Jesus Christ speaking to you. Not personally anymore face to face but spiritually through the, through the Spirit 
and the word in conjunction speaks to you and moves you in the direction heaven would. And that's the focus here. That's why this pulpit should always remain in the center of this church. It is the center. The gospel is the center of the church, the core of the church. And it brings life and, and depth to the soul. Mm. It's the power of the risen Lord to raise the dead to life and to bring them to saving faith to him. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ as if he were here himself. Raising up your James to life, his family members to life, us to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we are thankful to be here. We're thankful. It's, it's so important to, to be at a church where the gospel is preached, where the word of God is taken seriously, while it's, while it's, it's promoted because it promotes our salvation. It brings life. To people, it's not just uh, here in the pulpit. It's uh, our teaching too. It's our devotion at home. It's our reading and studying the scriptures. Yes, but the main, the the core of it is the preached word, the foolishness of preaching, and uh, we are thankful to have that here at Calvary Church and also throughout churches of our denomination. And we are uh, praying, Heavenly Lord, that you bless us, continue to bless us through your word. Uh, your word is life to us. And it's in your name we pray these things and say these things. Amen.